0: Damien did assure me that this wouldn't come on while I was singing, but I was still a bit worried. (laughs) No, I was worried for you guys. I reckon I could clear this room quicker than a fire alarm. You know, I've spoken a lot in recent times about time, about the future, and it's understandable. We've just finished a series on end times, and I really wanna thank the guys that um, preached through that because it was an amazing blessing and so poignant for our times. We've also um, been thinking and speaking a lot about the future because we've just come into a new year. It's a time of resolutions. It's a time of planning for the new year. And those are good things. Last week, Dan reminded us that perhaps some of us need to start living in a different direction. And you know, because a lot of us have baggage and trauma in our lives. This might not be a quick fix, but a journey. But as he said, getting on the right direction determines that we'll end up in the right destination. And I also wanna talk about time today, and that's the time I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about the present. I wanna talk about today because today is the only day that you actually have in your possession. If you can ever say that you have time in your possession, because today is the only day you can get in that right direction. And if you're on the right path, today is the only day you can stay on that right path and choose to do so. I would encourage you to always look back and be thankful for what God has done, for salvation and all the things He's done in your Christian journey. But you can't try to relive those yesterdays. I would also encourage you to look forward, to make plans according to the will of God, And look with hope to the coming of our Lord in a world that is pretty hopeless. But don't try and do the impossible and live in the future. The Bible talks about salvation being in three different tenses, past, present, and future. In the past, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. In the present, this time we call sanctification, we are being saved from the power of sin. And one day in the future, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. The present is so important. We get one one life here. and God has chosen to give us a time on earth. From the moment of salvation to the moment we step into glory, for some that is days, and for some that is decades. But He wants us here for a purpose. He's left us here as light and as a witness, what an opportunity, opportunity today is for us and every consecutive today that God allows us. So how are we going to live in this present tense? How are we going to live in this today? I'm going start with a couple of thoughts. My first one is stop trying to be a Christian. Now, oh, poor Dan's thinking, we'll give this guy a shot and he's telling everyone not to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying don't be a Christian, I'm saying stop trying to be a Christian. And it goes along with the second thought. Stop trying to be a Christian and start letting Christ live his Christian life in and through you. We're gonna just be looking at the book of Galatians today, so if you wanna have your Bible open, the verses will be up on the screen. But the question really for today is how are you going to live your Christian life? How are you gonna live in the here and now? Are you gonna try and live by your performance or are you going to live by the power of the person of Christ? See, I find a problem when I pick up the Word of God because when I pick up the Word of God, it tells me that a child of God should be kind and patient and gentle and self-controlled. And I look at myself and I don't think I'm that. I know I'm not that. In fact, I find it exhausting trying to be that. I find it exhausting trying to be good. And I know I'm not alone in the, in the inner battle that comes with sin. I mean, you can name your poison here. What do you struggle with? Lust, greed, pride, bitterness, gluttony, slander, laziness, anger, fear, and what do we do? We try to resist these things in our own strength and we fall and we get up again and we try to overcome again in our own strength and we fall. And we turn to the Lord and we repent. And he says that we're cleansed, but we, we struggle to believe that really. We punish ourselves a little bit more then we roll up our sleeves, grit our teeth and say, I will overcome. And guess what? The cycle begins again. Did you know that God never promised us that with enough determination, we could make ourselves holy? But what he did promise us is that he is gonna conform us to the image of his son. Let's take a look at Galatians 3, verse one. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly crucified? clearly portrayed among you as crucified. And this is, um, this is strong language. I'm sure if he was saying this today, he'd just say, you absolute idiots. You know, Paul wrote this epistle as a defence of the gospel of grace. He wrote this epistle to say, faith triumphs over works. And yet these Galatians are going backwards. Verse two. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And I think that should be pretty explanatory. If you've received the Spirit, you've received them by faith. But then let's look at Galatians 3.3. And I wanna move this away from just examining how foolish the Galatians were. And I want you to make this personal. I really want you to ponder this and ask yourself, does this apply to me? Because I do believe that all in all, most of us do live a a form of performance Christianity. Um, You may not think you do, it's very subtle sometimes. But just as I read this, ask yourself the question, could this be applied to me? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Having received salvation through faith, am I now going to sanctify myself through my own self-effort and performance? I'd like to read a quote from someone. I say someone because I didn't write down who it's from. Um, Most Christians are thankful for what Jesus Christ did then, but don't live in the power of who he is now. Caught between who Jesus was and who he will be, We try to live for Jesus only a life he can live in and through us, perpetually begging for what in him we already have. Why do do we have this performance mentality in us? And I've often pondered this and I don't think it's a Christian thing necessarily. I think it's a human thing because performance is ingrained in us from the cradle to the grave. You know, when you're you want your toddler to eat, you say, eat your vegetables and you'll get some ice cream. When we go to school, our parents tell us to get good grades, because then we can get a good job. We start work and the boss says, for this many hours, you can have this many wages. And then a few weeks later, he comes to you and he says, if you work better, longer, harder and smarter than your colleagues, you can get a promotion. And I'm not saying any of this is bad, it's just the way that it is. And I know there are many spiritual reasons why people don't believe the gospel, but I think this also ties into why people don't believe the gospel because it's free, it's a free gift. And we are drawn drawn towards religion, drawn towards performance. So, is there another way? Can we get off this performance treadmill? I believe the scripture says there is and that's found in Galatians 2.20. I love that one of the songs we sung this morning was basically Galatians 2.20. Um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I should just point out um, in this version uh, the word flesh there because generally in the New Testament when you use the word flesh, it's a very negative term referring to the old sin nature. But in this, um, in this verse, it's just referring, uh, referring to the physical body. But I find great hope in this verse because, as I said earlier, I, I try to do the good stuff and I can't do it. I try to avoid the bad stuff and I can't do it. But here it says... It is no longer I who live, but Christ. But Christ lives in me. I find tremendous hope there. Christ is there to live his life in and through me. And if you know him today, in and through you. But to be fair, I've always had a few difficulties with this verse over the years. Um, I didn't really get it when I first read it many years ago. Um, Let me just share that with you. because this verse says that I am both dead and alive. Well, how's that possible? I've come to understand that at salvation, we are in union with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. Our old dead nature is crucified and a new living nature rises. And somehow in this, our, our personality, our human personality remains. Um, you may wonder why it doesn't feel like your old nature's been crucified and it's my major difficulty with this verse. We'll get to that. Another difficulty I have used to have with this verse is it says, Christ lives in me. I don't know about you, but I have uh, been confronted by my own wickedness on a number of occasions and found it pretty hard to believe that Christ lives in me. But sometimes your feelings lie, and that's the old man. Did you know that... Um, Every morning when you wake up, there's there's an enemy in your bed. I don't know why the husbands and wives are looking at each other because I'm I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about the enemy within. Your flesh doesn't want you to believe Jesus. Your flesh wants you to believe in Himself. Jesus does dwell in you if you are saved. We're not saved by a belief. Now, of course, we believe in Jesus we believe what Jesus has done for us, but we're saved by a person who comes to live in us. The gift of salvation is not a get out of hell free card. Jesus is the gift. He is the source, power and very content of the Christian faith. My major difficulty with this passage, and one that's taken me many years to resolve, it says that the, the old nature of the flesh has been crucified. That means executed. So why do I keep having problems with him? Why does he keep getting in my face? It's like a bad horror movie, eh? They always kill him, and then he comes back again. Guess they have got to make a franchise, I suppose. But have you ever thought about this? If you've been a Christian for 50 years, your flesh is as unregenerate as it was the day you were saved. Actually, probably the day before you were saved. Because Christ didn't come to improve your flesh. He didn't come to pretty it up or make it better. He came to execute it. And I've come to realise it's like the tenses of salvation. The scriptures say the old nature is crucified, but it also tells us to be crucifying him daily. Romans 6.6 6 tells us it, the old man was crucified with Jesus. But a few verses later, it says we must reckon that to be so. We must live like that is so. So maybe you're having a few difficulties with what I'm saying. I mean, surely God requires us to do something. And I do believe God really does desire us, desire something from us and that is to trust Him. Back in Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Maybe you're thinking, um, if, all we, if we're not supposed to be trying and all we're supposed to be doing is um, believing, will not we just become some sort of spiritual jellyfish? I believe that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you may actually see a whole lot less religious activity in your life and a whole lot more spiritual reality. Often another objection is is raised when, when one is said, talks about faith, and that is, but my faith is so weak. I don't have great faith. You know you don't need to have great faith. If all you're doing is stirring up faith within yourself, that's you again, trying to stir up this big faith. You don't need a big faith. You need a faith in a big person. And that's Jesus Christ. Take him at his word. God said he did want us to do a work. Jesus said the work of God is that you believe in him who he has sent. Faith is the ABC of the Christian life. The just shall live by faith. Faith pleases God and faith changes things. Right. I, I want to thank Peter son that he gave me some excellent advice on how to prepare notes for a sermon and I just wish I'd taken them because I'm a little bit lost here. We must stop divorcing the past and present truths of salvation because they apply to both, your moment of salvation and your current sanctification. Who is the cause of your salvation? Is it some of God and some of you or most of God and a little bit of you? No, it's all of God. Your salvation is all of God and therefore your sanctification is all of God. How did you receive the free gift of salvation? By faith. By faith you are saved. How do you receive sanctification? By faith. You know, I wasn't good enough then and I'm not good enough now but it's never been about our goodness. It's been about God's grace. I wanna read this quote again. Most Christians are thankful for what Jesus Christ did then, but don't live in the power of who he is now. Caught between who Jesus was and who who he will be, we try to live for Jesus only a life he can live in and through us, perpetually begging for what in him, They already, we already have. Let me give you an illustration of this. Imagine if the person that you love the most in this life, you found out that they had a a terrible disease and it could be cured with the right operation, but that operation was going to cost $10,000 and it needed to be performed immediately. There could be two possible reactions to this because If you didn't have the $10,000, what would you do? You'd do anything you could. You'd try and sell everything that wasn't nailed down. Um, You'd go to everybody you knew, and you'd beg and you'd plead to get that money. But what if the same scenario happened with the person you loved, but you had $10,000 in the bank? This is the difference. You don't have to go into the bank and get down on your knees and cry. You just ask what is rightfully yours. That's what I think we do as Christians. Let me read just a a small part of a prayer that Paul prays in Ephesians. He wants us to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places." Paul's letting us know here that we have available to us, it says, those who believe. So from the time we believe, we have the power available. How strong is this power? It is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. You know, I think maybe our prayers should change to 1% begging and 99% thank you. I wanna conclude with uh, Galatians 5.16. I need to confess, I think I've tried to live more of my Christian life by performance rather than through the person of Christ. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried again to not fulfil the lust of the flesh so that I might be spiritual. But it doesn't work in reverse. It doesn't say, don't fulfil the lust of the flesh so that you can walk in the Spirit. No, it says you must walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfil the lust of the flesh. Our eyes must be on our Savior, not on our besetting sins. One thing you learn when you ride a motorcycle is don't look at the hazard. When you come around a bend and there's something in the road that's going to cause you to come off, you can't look at it. You've got to look past it. You've got to look where you want to go, um, because you'll you'll look, you'll hit what you look at. And you actually have to train your mind because your instincts seeing in danger and you're just going for it. But you have to train your mind to say, go past that. Look down the road, go past it. Look where you're going. And I think that's how I've operated with sin in my life and perhaps you have too, is that there are sins that we just struggle with, but we're focusing on this huge sin. And the more we focus on it, the bigger it appears. Sometimes we seem to have a little bit of victory, but it just bounces back. The strange thing is that sometimes the thing you thought you hated, the more you look at it, the more it tempts you. We need to look at our Saviour. We need to look where we want to go. You know, there's an old song, and I haven't written it down, but I wonder if that hymn writer had this thought in mind Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes unto Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. What will happen? The things of earth will grow strangely dim because of the light of his glory and grace. Let us lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Bless you. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in your word and to share your word. And I just pray, Lord, that we would really learn to trust you as a little child. And we would learn that we don't know better than you. It should be obvious, but often isn't. Bless this day. May we live for this day, not live in the past, not try to live in advance, but live for this day in Jesus' name i